I cannot speak of anything but Jesus, he says. Oh, that that would be true for us, right? Man. That's what we're going to talk about today. Before we get into it, though, uh, you can remove your mask if that is your preference at this time. And pretty much at this point, all good people usually say amen. But um, we're going to get into God's word here in just a moment. Looking forward to it. Um, before we do, I, I, have to, I forgot one thing. The times for the outdoor services are 10.15. Now, that's different than 10.45. And you're going to be confused next week. And you're going to say, what did Pastor Mark say? Was it 10.45? No, 10.15. That's going to be at each of our campuses, except I think Gary might be different. But 10.15. What time is the outdoor service tomorrow? And how long are we going to do it? Till it snows or whatever. Okay. Good. <laughs> All right. Well. I start off this morning by just declaring that camping is awesome. And by camping, I mean tent camping is awesome. Okay, who are my tent camping fans here? And who, who like, just be honest, you hate tent camping. Just be honest, okay. All right. Notice my family's divided. <laughs> of course, a lot of people aren't here today because they're probably camping right now. But it seems to me that people usually have an opinion about camping. They either hate it or they love it. And then I guess there's some people in the middle. But generally speaking, people either hate tent camping or they love it. Uh, the comedian Jim Gaffigan talks about how his wife loves camping and how he hates it. And, and she says to him, you know, it's a family tradition. In, in my family, it's a family tradition to go tent camping. And he says to her, well, yeah, it was a family tradition in every family until we came up with this thing called a house. <laughs> tent camping by its very design is crude. It's... It's, uh, you know, obviously temporary. You don't live in a tent, Lord willing. But it's challenging. It has adventure. But it's also purposeful. The reason you tent camp, there's a reason you do it. And I'm going to try this morning to make campers out of all of you. And I'm no longer talking about physical camping in the wilderness, okay? What I'm talking about is we as Christians living the life that we're called to live in this wilderness here called earth. You see, with every year that passes and each decade that I enter, and it's only been four so far, decades, but as I walk through life, more and more I realize that this world is not my home. I realize that I'm just a passing through, like we used to always sing as a kid. And I wonder if you believe that. Do you believe that, brother or sister? That this world is not your home, that you're just passing through. I remember being a kid and hearing you know, people sing it, and for the, I was like, yeah, you're, you're kind of old. I was a little kid. And for you, you're, you're almost there. But for me, I got a lot of living left to do in this world. But I have to tell you that now, at this point in my life, I'm there. Like, I'm there. I, I've received some lumps on my journey, and the more and more that I've tried to find my place in this world, the more I've realized that I don't really belong anywhere. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. Like, I like living in my house in Cedar Lake, Indiana. I have a, a, a fantastic wife, and I'm proud of my three girls, and I love being your pastor. Like, I'm happy about that. But I'm talking about just being a human on this earth, and the longer that I do that, the more that I see that this world is what the Bible really says that it is. And that is the existence between the exodus out of sin that I experienced and the future promised land of heaven. That's what earth is. That's what life is. After I've become a Christian, I'm in the wilderness. I am processing this life with God's presence, but it's not my home. And I just feel like I find 
that more and more I don't fit anywhere. I don't find a tribe that I'm like, that's my tribe, you know? This is the reality, I think, maybe of getting older. But I feel like a stranger. I feel like a refugee in this world. I guess it's about time that we Americans feel that way. A lot of Christians throughout the whole world have felt that way. And yet we have an incredible purpose for being here. I mean, why does God not just whisk us away the the moment that we trust in Christ? Because he's got a very incredible purpose for us. It's called the mission. And this morning we get to talk about mission. Jesus gave us a mission in Matthew 28 when he said to his disciples... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that's why we're here on this earth, right there. We say it this way at Bethel, and I don't have this on the screen. If you wanted to jot it down, you could, but you could say it this way. True disciples live out the great commission of Christ that we just saw on the screen. And that's the commission to go and make disciples. True disciples live out the great commission of Christ in the spirit of the great commandment. To love God and love others, right? We live out the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. To love God and to love others. This is our core value of mission. So last week, we talked about worship, right? And I said that worship was an all-about-him life of thankfulness and adoration centered on the gospel and God's glory. And today, we move on to mission. Mission, you could say it this way, any ministry done to expose unbelievers to Jesus. Any ministry that you do to expose unbelievers to Jesus, mission can be evangelism, acts of service, mercy, compassion, but it's always characterized by grace and truth. And that's what we'll see in our text this morning. I want you to turn to John 1. So the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book in the New Testament, very first chapter, find chapter 1, and I'm going to show you this morning from God's Word that it is our mission to embody a gospel of grace and truth in the midst of a lost world. That is our mission Our mission is to embody a gospel of grace and truth in the midst of a lost world. And we're going to look at how the Lord Jesus Christ is our pattern for mission. He embodies, quite literally, right? He embodies grace and truth. He lives among people and he shares that grace and truth with them. And I don't know if you know this, but Jesus actually compared our mission to his mission in John 20 when he says this after his resurrection, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So just like Jesus was sent into the world by the Father, he sends us into the world to do the work that he was called to do. And so Jesus is our pattern for missions. And the incarnation is our pattern. So let's look at how Jesus was sent into the world, shall we? John 1, verse 14, one verse here, okay? John 1, 14, follow along as I read this. And the Word, and that's capitalized, right, in your Bible, that's Jesus. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, notice, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth is what our world needs today. 
before they can ever receive grace and truth from you and from me, we need to take a couple of steps that, that Jesus models so beautifully in the incarnation. So I'm going to give you a couple ways in which we embody this mission. Okay, So today's direction from our text is less about what you do in evangelism or less about what you do on mission and a lot more about who are we called to be. How do we embody the mission? You know, sometimes I think we make evangelism so complicated and so scary. And there's no doubt that it is valuable to learn apologetics and to understand how to tear down philosophical strongholds and all the things that people object to. But honestly, when you look at the mission, it's not as complicated as we make it, to, make it out to be. We live like Jesus and we follow in his ways. So here's how to live on mission. First of all, this morning, be real. Be real. The word became flesh. There's four words. They really pack a punch, and this, this whole verse is just jammed full of theology, rich theology. But these four words, Jesus is the word, right? And, and if you look earlier in the chapter, back in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, again capitalized, Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus existed before the world began as part of the Godhead, Jesus, the Son. And there's Jesus, the word. And then God speaks the word and Jesus comes into this world incarnated in the flesh. Here he is. He became flesh. He left heaven, came to earth to be with us. And this, this, this language of became flesh is so neat. It's where we get the whole doctrine of incarnation. That word incarnation, incarne, in flesh, in meat. I mean, that's what it means, right? Jesus became flesh. This wording is a direct attack on the false teaching of John's day because there were people called the Gnostics who did not believe that your physical body was important. Your spirit was important. So what you did with your body was, was, was not as uh, consequential as your spirit. Your spirit is what God cares about. And there were also people called the, the Docetists. The Docetists believed that Jesus appeared to be human. He sure looked human, didn't he? <laughs> That's what they would say. He looked human, but we know he couldn't have been human because if he was human, then this physical body would have been inherently sinful. So we know that Jesus wasn't actually human. And what does John say right here in verse 14? The word became flesh. Became. I mean, that was John saying, the Holy Spirit through John saying, Jesus was human. He is, this very moment, human, 100% human. He's the real McCoy. He's really a human made in the flesh. And he did all this, Hebrews says, Hebrews 2, so that he could be made like us in every respect. Jesus came to humans as a human. He really hungered. He really wept. He really laughed. He really sweat. He was a human, real and it is that shared humanity that Jesus had with people around him that allowed him to walk through life with 12 disciples and not only change their lives, but change the whole world. Because there he was, really in the flesh. You know, throughout Paul's writings, he uses the word flesh, and it usually carries a negative connotation, you know, like the sinful flesh. But here, John uses it in a very neutral way. Flesh is not inherently evil as our humanity our fleshiness, the fact of being human, is not always sinful. It's the way that sin hijacks that flesh. In fact, I would say to you that your flesh, your humanity, your humanness is the very thing that God can sometimes use 
for you to be able to share Christ with others. The fact that you're a human, just like they're a human, and you do the same things that they do as humans. And I want to remind you that you have a lot in common with those in your neighborhood and those at your place of work because you share humanity. Sometimes we're not sure how to share Jesus with those around us. We're not, we're not sure how to start up a conversation with those who need Jesus. And I would just say to you, start with your shared humanity. Be real. Talk about real stuff because you're really a human like they are. I love to connect with guys through the game of soccer. Because you can go to any country in the world, pretty much, and they play soccer. And they might call it football. But it is a sport that's international. So wherever you seem to go, you can grab a soccer ball and you can connect with other people. And I've been able to have that opportunity on you know, a soccer team to just start to talk to guys and share something that we're just humans enjoying a game, right? The trick is to be able to um, be in the flesh without being fleshy, right? To not be sinful while you're playing that sport. <laughs> I'm, I remember one game in which, uh, you know, I got a little frustrated. I didn't say anything dishonoring to God. But I was a little rougher with somebody from the opposite team than I should have been. And so we get to break, and one of the guys goes, man, when the pastor gets a yellow card, you know it's a bad game. That's, that's what he says. You know, like, I'm the only pastor on the team. I'm the only, I mean, so, but sharing that humanity, that fleshiness without being fleshy, without being sinful, sometimes the world wonders whether we're normal people. You know, do you guys actually do, like, normal stuff? Let people see your humanity. And I'm not talking about, you know, sin boldly and let people see your sinfulness. No, I'm saying just be a human. Be like share experiences with people. You share experiences with those in your neighborhood, right? You all have car trouble. You all have uh, like lawn trouble. You all have uh, health problems. We're all going through a pandemic. We all share this. We're all human beings. And you want to live out the mission of making disciples and pointing people to Jesus. Step one, be real. Start with your shared humanity. Find something that connects you, whatever it might be. Start there. Jesus was real. He was in the flesh. We also need to be present, second. Be present. So it goes on in this verse to say that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And dwelt among us. Really neat phrase if you look at it. What it literally means is Jesus tabernacled. That's the literal rendering of the word. Tabernacled or tented among us. Jesus tented, pitched his tent among us. And this is where I first got the idea as I was studying the text for the, for the tent and the idea of, of tenting because the, the text is that Jesus pitched his tent among humans. It's what he did. God in the human flesh tenting among us. Now his tent of human flesh was susceptible to all the diseases that we're susceptible to, to all the weaknesses that we are susceptible to. All the fragility. Jesus' birth and life were not about comfort, were they? Jesus didn't come for comfort. His life was not set up about comfort. Jesus came and he knew why he came. He came on a mission for a very specific reason. And as you read John 1.14, there is no doubt, and pretty much every commentator and theologian points to the fact that this is a reference to God tabernacling with the Israelites in the wilderness. As the Israelites, you might remember in the book of Exodus, they're going through the, the wilderness, longing for the promised land. And how does, God, how does God show up? He shows up in the presence of the tabernacle, a tent that was pitched. And when the Israelites would move because God directed them to move, the tent would move and God's presence would go along with them. And so here's Jesus, this better tabernacle, this perfect tabernacle, God's 
very presence in human flesh, that tent. You know, I think about the way that we look at uh, tenting. You know, so if you do go, you know, camping in a tent, you go camping in a tent because of the location. You, you don't like sit in your tent and be like, man, this fabric on this tent is so amazing. And, and I mean, I do have a really nice tent at home, like really nice. I want to use it more, you know. And so maybe the first time I used it, I was like, this is an awesome tent, right? And Jen's like, yeah, Mark, it's great. Um, but you don't go to admire your tent. That's not why you go camping. You go camping in a tent to be in an environment, to interact with your an environment. If you wanted a really nice structure, you'd stay home in your convenient house. But no, you go to a place to interact with your surroundings. It's one of the reasons that I like to sleep overnight in a tent in quiet. Why? Because I want to hear the like, I want to hear the, the, the wilderness. My wife wants to hear the fan, and that's okay. I want to hear the wilderness. I want to hear my surroundings. That's why I'm in a tent, right? To like be able to take it in because we take a tent to a place to be in that place. If you've ever been tent camping, you know it's impossible not to interact with your your neighbors. So every year, my brothers and I, my dad, we go camping. And now we've graduated to a pop-up. But whenever we're around the fire, we're always trying to like keep it down because why? There's people around us in their campsites. They don't want at two in the morning to hear these guys being, you know, laughing and yucking it up. Now, some, every once in a while, we get put in a place where the, everyone around us is in this like big hardcore RV. And I'm just like, okay, good. They can't even hear us. But when you tent camp, when you're like in a temporary location like that, you, you can't help but interact with your surroundings, with the people around you. There's a sense of community when you're tenting. And when Jesus tented among us, as the text says, he knew that his earthly life would be short and he knew why he was here. He was here to be with us. He came to us to interact with us. Do you think of yourself as tenting among people? It's like, why are you here in this world? Why does God have you living where you live, working where you work? Do you think of yourself as tenting among people? And God has pitched your tent here with all these other people. Is that how you view yourself? Or do you view your, yourself as like in a fortress where you just pretty much try to have as little contact as, with that world as possible, right? Did you ever stop to think why God placed you in the neighborhood that you're in? And you might say, well, I, you know, it was a school district. We picked it. You know, a really beautiful yard, good neighbors, whatever. Yeah, well, God wouldn't allow you to get the house. if he, he has a purpose. Why does God have you in your neighborhood? Could it be that he has pitched your tent there among other people just as he came and lived among people? Being missional requires intentional planning in a suburban, close-my-garage-door world, right? I was talking to somebody from this campus, and they said to me, yeah, in my neighborhood, there's a signal. If you leave your garage door up, it means you want to hang out with everyone, have fires in your, in your driveway, and stay up to all hours of the night. But if you don't want to do that, you close your garage door. It's a signal. We all know it. This is and in his, his street, everyone hangs out with each other. It's like a big block party every like, weekend or something. So there's a signal. You don't want to be a part of that? Close your garage door. And honestly, we're all tempted to just be like, yeah, just close the world and just go inside and ignore everyone. Because it's like we need some respite. We need some rest, all that stuff. I get it. But I ask you, how about where you work? Do you go in, like blinders on, I'm just going to do my job, I'm not going to talk to anyone, and, and I get it. Sometimes you've got to like, keep your eye on the prize or you won't get anything done. <laughs> but like, why has God placed you there? Why do you have that job? Could it be that you have strategically been given that job by God, so you're tenting among these people for however long you're at that job in order to live among them? You're here for a purpose. You have a mission 
We're here to pitch our tents among other humans and show them Jesus Christ. Our life needs to be more than just the American dream. The American dream says that we're called to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I, I believe there's a better dream. I made this up. The discipler's dream, okay? And the discipler's dream says this. We are called to life with lost people, the liberty of those enslaved to sin, and eternal happiness for ourselves and others. That's really, we as believers are called to that first and foremost. That's why we're here. And it's important to remember what our mission really is. Why do we exist on this earth? It's much like Jesus' mission. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And how was Jesus sent? John 1.14. This is how the message translates John 1.14. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I think it's a very good paraphrase. The idea of going into where people are and living among them. What does the Great Commission say? Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, right? Go. Go be among people. Go live among people. Do life with people. Be present. So be real and be present with people. Go to where people are. That's what Jesus did. And in John 1.14, we see that he was real, he was present, and then lastly, he was full of grace and truth. So we'll look at grace, and then we'll look at truth here, okay? It says that Jesus was full of grace. Of grace. Jesus was full of grace. We're called to be full of grace. You know, this might seem like a little sideline thing, but in this pandemic, it's been hard to find certain items, hasn't it? Like in the beginning, it started off with like toilet paper. We were all confused about that, but it was a real problem. Like <laughs> toilet paper, uh, uh, meat was, was difficult, right? Um, cleaning supplies. The, the, the most recent one I've been aware of is certain sodas. Because apparently aluminum cans are hard to come by because there's a metal shortage. I don't know. I'm sure there's people out there that have a conspiracy about this. But I just know you go to the store and you can't find certain things. You're like, why are people hoarding the, the, the Fanta orange soda? I don't get that, right? It's been hard to find a lot, a lot of things during this pandemic. One thing that's almost impossible to find right now is grace. It's really hard to see grace today. There's a lot of harshness a lot of frayed emotions, short tempers, frustrations. There's not a whole lot of grace. Our country is littered with eggshells and we're all walking on them. That's how it feels sometimes, right? And even Christians seem to lack grace right now. Those of us who are called to be in this world, not to be of the world, but to be living in the world, to change this world, to transform it with the grace and truth of Christ, even us, we're making a mess of things sometimes in the way we interact with one another. I've, I've thought recently that if I wasn't a believer before COVID and I was on Facebook, I would definitely not be a Christian now. You know, it's just like I would look at the way Christians talk to each other and I'd be like, yeah, nah, no way, <laughs> not for me. And that's not even funny. That's a sad thing, right? The fact that we would be, have so much infighting and so much frustration with one another. And I get it. Like I've been there where I've been frustrated. But part of the mission is remembering that it's not about your platform or your tribe or whatever it is that you believe it's about the mission. It's about the fact that people are dying and going to hell. And if they don't see love between brothers and sisters in Christ, why would they want to become a Christian? I would be convinced not to be a Christian. Is this what Jesus meant when he said, be the light of the world? You know, go on Facebook and post things. I don't think so. 
I don't, I don't think we're not supposed to shine stupidity and arrogance and self-righteousness. We're supposed to shine grace and truth. This is what he calls us to. And when we come to John 1, we see a different way to live in the world. Jesus comes and tabernacles among us, and he's full of grace and truth. I would say this. Our posture as Christians is as important as our preaching. The way in which we position ourselves, the way that we talk to others, our posture is as important as our preaching. I did not say our preaching is not important. I'll get to that in a second. It's absolutely important. But so is your posture, Christian. So is mine. How are we interacting with that unbeliever? Or how are we interacting with that person from the other political party? Because our posture says something about our heart and where we are. Issues of homosexuality, race, gender. Too often Christians have been arrogant, self-righteous. That's been our posture. And this hurts the mission. This really hurts the mission. And I can tell you as a youth pastor of over 20 years, it really hurts the mission with millennials and Gen Z. The younger individuals in our society have no time for that self-righteous holding on to your position and treating people meanly because you're defending the truth. We have to be full of grace. Grace is critical. But of course, so is truth, right? Here's this thing, and what God calls us to do as missionaries, as in the mission, is to be full of grace and to be full of truth. It says that Jesus is full of truth. So Christian, be truthful. Be real, be present, be gracious, be truthful. Jesus was full of truth. Jesus is the truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, right? I'm the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is truth, okay? It's not like, hey, your truth is fine and my truth is fine and everyone has their own truth. No, there is truth. And if we fail, fail to share the life-changing truth of the gospel, then we have failed the mission, there's a real temptation today, isn't it, in, in a pluralistic society to even maybe get our posture right, the way we present ourselves, but to not share the truth because we're afraid how people are going to take it. And what were the words of Jesus that I just read? He said, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. That's not a popular concept, is it? That is not popular, but that's the truth. The truth is not that, you know what, we're all going to be okay in the end. We're all going to find a way to get to God. No, that's not the truth. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what the word says. There are truths that we must share. And the truth is, though we share humanity with every single person we interact with, though we should treat every single person with dignity, I don't care what, what their race is, what their sexual orientation is, we should treat them with dignity. Though all of that's true, there is a difference between children of God and children of the world. There's a difference between being a son and daughter of God or not. Every person is welcome to enter God's family. Every person is welcome to trust in Jesus Christ, called to trust in Jesus Christ. But the truth is not that we're just going to all be okay in the end. And whatever your truth is, is fine. That's not the truth. It requires humility, repentance, adoration of Jesus. That's, that is what brings us into a relationship with God. And all of that is true. And all of that is something we've got to share with the lost world that needs to know that. We don't shy away from the truth. We want to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, but we want to do it graciously. Is that hard? Is that hard, believer? I think that's kind of hard, isn't it? 
to stay with the truth of the word of God, but to do so in such a way that is gracious and seasoned with with salt, as the Bible says, in a way that, you know, it's not your posture that turns that person off. It's not your attitude. It's the message you're sharing, which they just reject. They don't believe it. And this is where this partnership of grace and truth is so critical, right? Our words seasoned with grace. Medicine that tastes sweet goes down easier. Uh, Vegetables that are seasoned well are easier to eat when you're a kid or an adult for some of us, okay? The things that people need to hear that they need, it must be seasoned with grace. By the way, if we speak truth, but we don't live in a truthful way, or we live with hypocrisy, we jettison the truth, right? It's not just enough to be a Christian who stands up on his soapbox and shouts the truth, okay? That's not enough because we have to be living out a life of truth, how we live. It's not enough to just preach the gospel. The gospel needs to be fleshed out, and I use that term very deliberately, fleshed out, just as Jesus enfleshed the truth and lived among people. If we tell people that they need to follow Jesus, but our following of Jesus includes prejudice, lack of empathy, self-righteousness, we're calling them to a weak gospel. And I don't blame them if they say no. (laughs) Because we got to speak truth and live truth. Remember, people must know that the gospel changes your life. It changes your life. You live differently as a believer, amen? As a believer, we should be living in a different way than the rest of the world. And as we surrender to that gospel over the course of our life, and this is a, for me, I'll I'll share, this is a day-by-day, year-by-year thing. I'm still submitting parts of my heart to God. I'm still growing. I'm still letting my pride be broken down. I'm still trying to grow in my understanding and my graciousness and my handle on truth. And as we do that, we embody the mission. We embody grace and truth. And in the climate right now that we're in in America, a Christian that exudes Grace and truth is like a unicorn. It's hard to find Christians who are modeling grace and truth. Or better yet, maybe we could say that that person is a disruptor. Like they're distinctively different. And if people can see a Christian that is full of grace and truth, well, they might actually want that. If they see a Christian who's all grace and really doesn't have any any difference in their beliefs than them or doesn't really have any different convictions, that's not very compelling. If they see a Christian who has a lot of truth that they hit them with, but they have no grace, that's not compelling. But could the Holy Spirit use believers in this room and beyond who are full of grace and truth? So in concluding here, I haven't given you 10 ways to be missional in a pandemic. And there are great blogs out there, and I have some of them, and I can share them with you. You want to know some practical ways to be missional right now? Send me a message. I'll send you some really good articles. Like, there's literally great ideas on how to be missional in a pandemic. Because God wants to use you right now, believer, in the unique situation that we're in. But rather this morning, I just wanted to remind us that being who God calls us to be is central to the mission. Just be the kind of person that God wants you to be. You know, don't, don't be like, well, I can't do evangelism. It's just too scary. I don't know enough about the Bible. I, I just, yeah, the mission, it's kind of... There's missionaries for that. That's not me. Just be a Christ follower. Pattern your life after Jesus' incarnation. Be real. Be present with people. Go to where they are. Be gracious and be truthful. And watch how God uses you and opens up conversations. And then when you don't know an answer to something, you say, I don't know. (laughs) 
Let me go try to find out. Let me, let's, let's learn together. Let's grow. But just be like Jesus Christ is. Be real. Be present. Be gracious. Be truthful. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth.